Uh, if you've got your Bible, I encourage you to open up to James chapter 4, and I need to explain something to you. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm as, about as honest as I can be with you guys, and sometimes probably a little too honest, a little too raw. But when I laid out uh, the series that we were going to be in, the book of James, it's a five-part series, uh, I came to James chapter 4, where we're going to be today, and um, pretty much decided, nah, I'm not going to go there. James 4 is one of those chapters that I will be honest with you. I have wrestled with, struggled with, argued with God about, um, and it's, it is a very, very, probably the most challenging chapter in the New Testament, absolutely the most challenging in the book of James. Now, if you came today, because I had put on Facebook I was going to talk about how to uh, deal with conflict, I promise you we'll get there next week, Lord willing. The creek don't rise. I plan on being there. But uh, we're going to go a different dire direction this morning. So I, again, I apologize if this sounds like a bait and switch. That was not my intent at all. But what happens last night, I was down here praying. And generally, I make it my practice whenever I can to get down here late afternoon or early evening on Saturdays. And I'm all by myself in this room. Uh, I've had some amazing encounters with God here. I walk around. I've walked around this room hundreds and hundreds of times. And I was laying hands on the chairs um, and praying for you praying for God to do something profound in you today. But while I was praying, I really felt like the Lord began to show me the direction I needed to go today, and it wasn't the direction I'd planned. So I spent a couple days this week writing a really wonderful message you'll hear next week. But um, I, uh, I knew last night that God was taking us a different direction. So I was going this way, God's taking us this way. Uh, so I don't have any, a lot of prepared notes, which is scary, because when I'm off script, anything can happen. Um, but I'm going to ask you to pray for me. But more than that, I'm going to ask you to pray for yourself, that you'd open your heart to hear what Jesus wants to say to you today. Because I believe he does. He wants to challenge you. He wants to speak to you. Um, if you need a New Testament, the ushers have got some Bibles in their hands. Please just raise your hand, and uh, we'll get one to you. And James is further back, and the Bible's being handed out. It's about page 205, I think. And if you've got your Bible, open to James chapter 4, and I'm going to read first 10 verses of this passage that I love to hate, or that I hate to love. One of the, one depends how you look at it. But James chapter 4, James says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? And again, we'll get to conflict and resolving conflict next week, and that's addressed in this passage. But he goes on, verse 2, you want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you do ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Now, he's not starting pulling any punches. It's pretty in your face right out of the, the shoes here in, in, in James 4. But the next verse is the one that really is a challenge. Verse 4, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes, becomes an enemy of God. Now, keep in mind, James wrote this to the church. He wrote it to Christians. So when he uh, says you're, you're an adulterous people, he's challenging the Christ followers that lived in that time. But, but by the Holy Spirit, he's still challenging us today with the same admonition. Don't go there. Don't be like that. Verse 5, or do you think Scripture says without reason that the Spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? Now, that's an odd phrase. It's difficult to translate. 
Uh, there's some different versions of this, but basically what James is saying here is that God has put his Holy, if you're a Christ follower, God has put his Holy Spirit within you. You are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit longs, in, intensely longs to be in an intimate relationship with you all the time. It's not just something that happens once and you have an experience with God at camp or wherever. The Holy Spirit, in fact, he's jealous for you, jealous to be in relationship with you. Now, one of my struggles with this passage is, because I'm a grace guy, I, I often ever say, God, where's the grace in this? And this doesn't sound very nice. This isn't very encouraging. This isn't very grace-filled. Well, it is about grace, and let me show you a little bit more about that, verse 6, but he gives us more grace. And that is why Scripture says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. What James is saying is, no, understand this. There's some things off in your walk with God, things off in your pursuit of him, things wrong in your heart. You're double-minded. You've got some things you need to deal with, but it's God's grace that's calling you now to humble yourself. It is his goodness, his favor, his blessing in your life. He wants you to repent and to be humble before him. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Verse 7, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I grew up in church, and I can't tell you how many times I've heard Christians uh, love to use verse, um, what verse is it? Verse 7, where it says, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. And, and they'll bind this, and they'll bind that, and they'll run around, you know, casting demons out of all sorts of things. And sometimes, you know, if you know I don't believe in, in uh, beating around the bush when there's a demon to deal with, but sometimes they just beat the bush, and, you know, it's, there's issues that some people have with this. I understand. But the problem is sometimes they're out always resisting and binding this and binding that, and they've forgotten the first part of this. Verse 7 says, submit yourselves then to God. Before we ever stand against the enemy, we stand in Christ. We stand in him. We submit to him. We yield to him. This is an important thing for you to understand. You can't run around all the time and just take authority over the darkness until you've yielded your life and submitted yourself to Christ. Submit yourselves unto God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Verse 8, come near to God, and he will come near to you. We'll come back to that. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Now, isn't that a fun passage? No, not so much. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, wail. Humble yourselves. What's James doing here? Well, I believe that he is rightfully so, and by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, challenging the church then and the church now to recognize some things. I told you that I pray for you guys. I prayed over these chairs I don't know how many times. And my most frequent prayer, hands down, is not for God's provision, though I do pray for God's provision. It's not for God's protection, though I do pray for his protection. It's not for, you know, one thing or this thing in particular. What I pray for all the time is more of God's presence. I pray for more of his presence in your life. When I lay hands on that chair you're sitting on, I don't know how many, probably hundreds of times, that chair's been prayed over. It may sound weird to you, deal with it. But I, I, I have prayed over these chairs over the last 10 years. Some of these chairs are 10 years old. And I've prayed hundreds and hundreds of times. And my prayer is not, oh, thank you, God, for this blue carpet, um, this blue of, of, uh, material on this chair. My prayer is, God, please fill this chair with a person who's hungry for you and let them experience your presence. That has been my most frequent prayer. I pray it for you. I pray it for our church, our community of faith. I pray it for me. 
But last night I began to think about this, and this is why God you know, began to rock my world and, and take me a direction that I hadn't planned on going. Is that I realized something that I know, but I realized it better than I've ever known it before, if that makes sense. That though I pray for God's presence in my life and I pray for it in your life as well, it's not going to happen until we do what James says we're to do. We must draw near to God. I can pray until Jesus comes back or I go to be with him. A thousand times over for you. Oh God, let them experience your presence. You know, like the song we just sang, let them experience your presence. Let them know more of you, God. Let them know more of you. But until you say yes to God, until you yield your life to God, until you do what James encourages us to do here, you are not going to get there. You will not experience the fullness, the dimension, the measure of his presence in your life that God wants you to know. Jesus said, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness will be filled. Those who hunger and thirst. And so the question I want to ask you this morning is, what are you hungry for? What are you thirsty for? What do you long for most? What matters most to you? And please, don't say it anything out loud, but I don't want you just to spiritualize this because you're in church. I don't want you just to, to, to give the right answer in your mind or in your heart because, well, I suppose the right answer is, I want more of God too. Well, yeah, I want more of the Bible. I need more. I want, you know, don't just go there because it seems like the right thing to do. I want you to have a moment of honesty because that's where change happens. A moment of transparency in your own heart. What truly matters most to you? If, for some crazy reason, you know, there was, in fact, a genie in a bottle and you had that and you rubbed that puppy and out came the genie and she or he said, you got three choices. What do you want most? What would be the three things you'd ask for? And I know some of you would say, well, I really want to be married. Is there anything wrong with that? No. But is that what you want most? So you say, well, I, I really, I want a child. We, we haven't been able to have children. I ache for you, and I pray that as well. But is that what you want most? Well, I really, I, I'm just, I'm sick and tired of being poor. I never have enough money to do anything. I, you, I drive a, you know, 2,000-year-old car, and, and, and you know, Jesus wouldn't ride in this car, and, and all, you're just frustrated with your poverty and your struggle, and you think, well, I just, I want, I want provision. I want more stuff. Some of you have got stuff, and you still want more stuff. You want pleasure. You want power. In that moment, and again, I'm not, if you feel like I'm looking at you, I'm not, but in that moment, maybe I am, in that moment of honesty, in that moment of transparency, what is it that you truly long for most? What most of all? And if the answer is not more of God in your life, more of his presence in your life, then this message is for you. It's to challenge you. James says, here's how we get there. How do we find more of him? Verse 7, look at it again. Submit yourselves then to God. I know it's the S word in our culture. Nobody likes submission. Submit's not a great word among most. But in our relationship with God, it starts right here. And it continues right here. Submission just means we yield. It's to say yes to God. No, I won't do my way. No, I'm not going to do what I had in mind. No, I'm not going to follow that plan, that guy, that woman, that thing. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to say yes. I'm going to yield to him. Submission means we yield. We say yes to God. And James says, submit to God. How do I experience more of his presence in my life? 
How will you experience more of it in your life? It begins and continues and ends right here as you say yes to him, as you yield to him. And then we resist. We do. There is spiritual warfare going on. There, there is a culture around us. James says, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. And notice here he says, chooses to become a friend of the world. It doesn't happen overnight. I think it's a natural human nature. Our tendency is to drift that way. But we, if we choose to go there, then we're choosing to become opposed to the things of God. We are, in essence, his enemy. And again, remember, he's writing to Christians. Don't go there. Submit to God and then resist evil. Resist the devil. Resist those things. Yield. Say yes to him. Resist those things that are going to come against us. And then he goes on. Look at verse 8. Come near to God and he will come near to you. King James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. There is a position that we have to take where we choose to draw near, to come in, to enter into relationship, intimacy, experience with him. We come near to God, and the Bible says he comes near to us. Now, here's the way I wish it worked. I wish it was God just, you know, whenever I, you know, didn't, wasn't expecting it, not asking for it, wasn't looking for it, he just all of a sudden showed up once in a while, and boom, you know, God lands on me, and, and wow, now I've got God in my life. And occasionally I've been surprised by God, but more often than not, what I see, the pattern of the Bible is that people who position themselves to experience God, experience God. People who yield to God, people who say yes to God, people who draw near to God, those are the very people who then experience more of God in their life. God, the Holy Spirit, is a gentleman. He is not going to force you to do anything. God does honor our free will. Man, do I wish that wasn't true at times. But he does. And so he gives you the option, the, the choice. Are you going to draw near? Are you going to come closer to me or not? Are you going to engage me or not? Because here's the deal. God is there. It's not as if God's lost. It's not as if we've got to find God. It's not as if, in fact, it's not even that we have to somehow do all the right things to get all the hype in our meetings so that God shows up. He's here now. He's been here way before you showed up. He's here whenever two or three gather in my name. Jesus said, there I am in the midst of them. He's here because of Christ's followers. The Spirit of God is in you. The question is, if he's here and we're not experiencing that presence the way the Bible says we should and could, then what's, what's blocking it? We are. Submit. Resist. Draw near to God. Come near to God. And then, and here's the fun part. We humbly confess our sin. We humbly confess our desperate need for God. A lot of part of verse 8, wash your hands, you sinners. <laughs> I'm sorry, but it's like, this is why I hate this passage. It just doesn't sound very friendly, does it? It's not very nice. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and listen and then he will lift you up he will lift you up a huge part of this is us just owning our stuff how many of you have gone without sin the entire week 
wow, nobody, a bunch of sinners. None of us have. Everyone in this room, listening on the radio, listening online, every one of us has sinned this last week. We said something we shouldn't have said. We thought something we shouldn't have thought. Man, God, please just take my boss out and kill him. That's not a holy thought. That would be sin. We have not done things that we should have done. That's sin. We didn't engage. We didn't tell somebody. We didn't bless somebody. We didn't do. God said, go talk to that person. No, no, no. I don't like that person. Go love on that guy. No, he is not very lovable, Lord. He'll just reject it. Why bother? Give more of what yourself, more of what you have. Bless that person. No, no, God, they need to get a job. Sometimes it's what we don't do. Sometimes it's what we do do. Can I say do do in church? Sometimes it's the fact that we have made a conscious choice to continue in a pattern of sin and the call of the Bible. And it's consistent. Confess. Repent. Come back. Wash your hands. Purify your hearts. Humble yourselves before the Lord. Why would we want to do this? Well, because it's the right thing to do, I guess. That might work for you for about a day. And I, you know, I wish we were just motivated by what's right. But the truth is, there are so many things that we end up getting blessed by when we live this way. And there are blessings God wants for you. I'm not going to read it this morning. Uh, Psalm 84. Would you just jot that down if you're taking notes? And, and spend some time in the Psalm 84 this week. And what I love about that psalm is that it begins with this yearning. My soul longs, yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. There's this, 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 this hunger to be more engaged, to experience more of God. And then it goes on at least three different times in that psalm, and it talks about the blessings of those who pursue him. They'll go from strength to strength. When he gets stronger, then pursue, long, yearn for God. They'll, they'll, the blessed is a man who trusts in you is the last verse in that psalm. These are blessings that come to us. But the Psalm 84, again, not going to go there, but Psalm 84, the first thing about that psalm that's taught is long for God above all else. Above all else, long for him. And the second thing that's taught is when you do, you'll be blessed as a result. And again, this is taught throughout the word. But Jesus taught this. Jesus called us to pursue him, to love him, to follow him with all our heart, to long, to yearn for him. Jesus, just a, a, few, thing, a few passages I'll paraphrase. One, Jesus said, whoever puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus said, if you don't love me more than your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, your cousin, Aunt Bobby, if you don't love me more than all of them, then you're not fit. Jesus said, you've got to love me so much more than anything and anyone else. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all that other stuff will come into place. But seek first. The call of the New Testament, the call of Jesus, is to long for him, to yearn for him, to put him as number one above all else. That there's not even a close second in your life. And again, sometimes it's not a choice between good and evil. Sometimes it's a choice between good and the best. Well, there's nothing wrong with this. You know, I'm 
No, maybe not. But is it the best? Is it what God has for you? Or are you double-minded? Are you, are, you, are you divided in your devotion? And James says here, I want you to be single in your focus of God. And here are the benefits. And I, guys, these are, I started jotting them down last night. I jotted a few more down this morning. These are the things, I, if I took a week to think about it, I'd come up with a hundred. But let me just punch through real quickly some of the benefits of drawing near to God. Why would you want to do that? Why would you want to experience more of his presence in your life? Well, to begin with, that's where there's fullness of joy. Isaiah, excuse me, Psalm 1611. So it's in your presence is fullness of joy. In his presence is where we experience the fullness of joy. Where we can know not just happiness, but joy no matter what circumstances we face. Another benefit to living in his presence, drawing near to him, walking engaged in life with him, is perfect peace. Isaiah 26, 3 says that those who fix their mind on him will, will, will stay in perfect peace. They'll experience perfect peace. Philippians 4, Paul encourages us to, 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 to stay focused on him, to, to commit our lives to him, because that's where the peace of God will guard our hearts. I talked to a bunch of people this morning already. First service, probably a half dozen. And I typically ask the question, hey, how are you doing? And thankfully, we've got a pretty honest church. They don't give me the happy Christian reply sometimes. They, and some of them said, man, this week has been hard. I'm not doing good at all. I'm hurting. I talked to a bunch of people this week who are struggling with things that are way bigger than them. I don't know if you're aware of this. Um, my wife was in the first service. She's in Adventureland right now. But um, her sister's um, stepdaughter, who we were very close to, Julia, passed away this week in an auto accident. And young, um, very young, sweet, precious girl. Married to a youth pastor, two little boys. One of them will never, he's so young, I'll never know his mom. And when my wife uh, saw it on Facebook, and you know, you gotta love and hate Facebook, but one of her other nieces posted on Facebook how sad they were about Julia's passing. I was in my office working at home, and my wife was at her computer, and I heard this groan, this wail. And I went running in there, what's wrong? And she couldn't even talk. She was very close to Julia, and she's gone. How do you survive that kind of stuff? How do you get past the angst, the pain, the sorrow of those moments? How do you get through life's hardships that many of you are going through right now? How do you experience that perfect peace, that peace that guards your heart in Christ? It only comes as we draw near to him, as we engage with him, as we experience more of him. Another benefit is that we become more like Jesus. You think, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess that's a good thing. No, it's everything. I have never met a Christ follower who didn't want to be a bit more like Jesus. And if that happens to be you, come see me because we need to have a little talk. Most say, no, I want to be more like Jesus. I want to become the man or the woman he wants me to become. One of the ways we become that person is we invest time with him in the word, in prayer, in worship. We engage we, we become more like the one that we behold. And we spend time with him, and we engage our lives with him. And that's where our minds are purified, our hearts are purified, and we become more like Jesus. Here's another benefit, empowerment. Want to have more power in your life, more of God's 
power in your life? Well, the, the path to that is being filled with the Holy Spirit. And you cannot, listen to me, you cannot be filled with the Holy Spirit if you're full of something else. Ephesians 5, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's like an ongoing, continual process. And the admonition of Scripture is to be that person who's constantly being filled. And I'm here to tell you, it's just simple, simple, is it physics? I don't know. Simple truth. You cannot be filled with the Holy Spirit if you're full of something else. And so, again, we submit, we yield, we empty ourselves of self, and we get filled with him. And that's where we experience his power in our life. A couple more. Here's a, it's a kind of a Bible churchy word. But one of the other benefits is fruitfulness. We get to experience the abundant life, the adventure of following Jesus. Some of you are bored to tears as Christians. And guess whose fault that is? Yours. You have lost sight of the fact that Jesus called you to an abundant life, to a life of adventure. Not easy. If you think that, mean, think that means easy, stop, because it doesn't mean easy at all. In fact, it may be harder than the life you would have had without Christ, but now you've got him with you. And you will find fulfillment and purpose and fruitfulness. John 15, one of my favorite passages. Jesus said, abide in me and I'll abide in you. And that's where you'll experience the fruitfulness, the life, my flow through you. That's the life that he has for you. And it only comes as you draw near to God. Stay connected, abiding to him like a vine and the branch, a branch in the vine. One more thing, that we, one more benefit, and I'll move on. As we experience satisfaction. You know, I, all the time I run into people and I hear them say things that indicate to me that they really are not satisfied. They're not satisfied with their job, not satisfied with their home, not satisfied with their kids, not satisfied with their spouse, not satisfied with, you know, their life in general. They just, they have this general sense of dissatisfaction. Let me just clue you in on something. Those are not really fun people to be around. They're kind of miserable, and they, so they make everybody else miserable around them. They don't have satisfaction. Another word for satisfaction, if I want to use another word out of the New Testament, is contentment. They're not content. And the, the truth of the matter is, and I wish, this, describing this for some of you, I feel like I'm trying to describe a sunset to a blind guy sometimes. How do you describe what a sunset's like to somebody who's really literally never seen one? But the contentment, the satisfaction that comes when you abide in Christ, when you experience his presence, is, 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 is so filling, so fulfilling. Psalmist, I think it's Psalm 143, said, David said, I long for you like a dry and thirsty land. And I've seen the dry and thirsty land of Israel and the cracked, you know, just ugly soil. And David says, I long for you like, I am so hungry for you, God, that I'm, I'm like that soil that will not be satisfied until I have you filling all my cracks, filling all my emptiness. Longing for him, experiencing him is where we experience the fulfillment, the contentment, the satisfaction that you are looking for. If you're here today and you're investigating Christianity, I'm here to tell you that it's not just a religious thing. It is a relational thing. And it will bring you the longing that you have looked for. You've looked for it everywhere else. And it'll come as you give your heart and life to Jesus. So what do we need to do? 
how do we experience more of that presence? All right, I need more of God. I need more of his presence. I need to be filled with him. I see the benefits, so what do I do? Well, let me give you three very simple things, brief things, but they're life-changing things. One is you get in your face, maybe literally, and you say, God, I need more of you. You know, to humble ourselves is often, in the, in the, in the Bibles, they fell prostrate before the Lord. They, they fell on their face before him and said, oh, God. They knelt before him and said, God, I, I just need more of you. There's, there's so much of me that's in the way right now. And we humble ourselves before the Lord, and we cry out to him in prayer, and we ask him. James says, you, ask, you have not because you ask not. You have not because you don't ask. Or when you do ask, you ask for the wrong reasons the wrong motives, but to come simply to God and say, God, I just want more of you, and to invest time with him in prayer. You don't have to get up at 4.30 every day and spend three hours on your knees praying. I'm not saying that, but learn to live in that desperate, dependent conversation. God, I need more of you right now. I got to go talk to my boss right now, and he's not happy with me. I need more of you. I got to deal with my kid right now, and I don't know what to say. I need more of you. God, my neighbor, I just, I, I, I really want to hurt them right now, so I need more of you to love them the way you do. We pray, we ask God. It seems so simple, but it's part of that drawing near to him, is that we come and we say, God, here I am. I'm emptying myself. I'm yielding to you. I'm, I'm submitting my life to you, and I'm asking you. I'm praying, God, give me more. I promise you this. I promise you. You pray that prayer every day for the next month, and if God doesn't move in your life, you come back and see me, and I'll quit. I'll resign. That's how convinced I am. This works. I know it works. When you get honest with God, and you say, God, I need more of you. God says, I've been waiting for you to say that for a long time. Watch. The second thing we do is I think we need to engage more in worship, both individually, you know, I don't care where you want to worship God on your own, but collectively, there's something powerful that happens when the community of faith gathers to worship, to sing to God. Why do we take 15, 20 minutes of every service to do that? It's not just filling in time. It's not just because, I, you know, I don't want to talk for an hour. You don't want to hear me for an hour. It's not just because, well, we want music to be cool and music's in our culture. No! We worship because that's where we turn our attention to him. That's where we engage him. That's where we can experience. And I, don't, I, I cannot explain it to you in, in, in words that will make sense. But there's something collective that happens when we come as a community of faith and we worship God. Second Chronicles chapter 7. Check it out on your own. It's a dedication of the temple. Solomon built the temple. David, his father, gathered materials. Solomon had the privilege of building it. They built this glorious, amazing temple for God. At the dedication of the temple, they're all together. They brought their sacrifice. Now, we don't bring goats and lambs and doves to sacrifice, you know, anymore. And I'm really glad about that part. Because I'd be the guy slitting their throat and sprinkling blood all over the place. That would not be cool. But here's the thing we do. We still bring a sacrifice of praise. A sacrifice, your best, and it costs you something. Can I just lean? I'm going to look this way when I say this. Some of you come in late all the time, and you come in late, and you miss the 15, 20 minutes of our service. That's critically important for you. See, I wasn't looking at anybody. And all kidding aside, 
you need to, I pray you'll get here early. And that you'll, you, from the first note and the first song, you say, well, I don't really like the music. It's too loud. I don't really like this. I don't know the words. Get over it. Because we're here to collectively engage our hearts in worship of Jesus. And you can sit there, and if you're new to church or you're still investing in Christianity, man, I'm not, I'm not, nobody, we don't have any worship police around here, I promise. Nobody's going to tap you on the shoulder and say, dude, raise your hands. What are you doing? I can't believe you're sitting there, you know, on your seat when everybody else is standing. No, no nobody, I close my eyes 90% of the time so that I'm thinking of only one person. Here I am, Lord, to worship you. And I love to worship him. Are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Will you worship? Will you engage in worship? We pray, we worship. I'm going to give you one more way that we experience God's presence. Ready? As we serve. As we get off our tush and get involved in giving away the life God's given to us, that's where we begin to experience this flow. You know, I was at the Dead Sea a couple months ago, and it is the lowest place on the planet, like 300 feet below sea level. It's barren, ugly, and you can't sink for nothing. You, I mean, everybody goes out to float in the Dead Sea. But you know why it's dead? Because things flow into it, nothing flows out of it. Hello. We experience more of him when we are the river, not a dead sea. When we're taking and giving and taking and giving and blessing others and giving away the life that is given to us. Whether it's in adventure land, serving our 90-year-old neighbor, whether it's helping out here in the auditorium, whatever, working with a cup of cool water, there's a thousand ways for you to get engaged and as you serve. That is where you experience more of his life because God says, I, Jesus said, I didn't come to be served but to serve and to give my life away. That's a ransom for many. Do you want more of him? Do you want to experience his presence in your life? Do you see the benefit? Do you understand why this matters? I hope so. Bow your heads, let me pray for you. Jesus, I feel so um, passionate about this and so inadequate. And so I need you, Holy Spirit, to pierce hearts right now, to pierce minds, to reveal to us our need for more of you. I need God. I pray that you would help us as individuals and as a community of faith to realize that this is, this is where it, 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 it matters. This is what matters most. That this is what we're here for, to love you and to love others. But it starts with loving you and engaging you and experiencing more of you in our life. Lord, there's some, as I talked about sin and, and the need to confess, they know, they already know what they need to confess. They already know, and maybe they've confessed it a thousand times and they feel like it's just useless. Lord, that's a lie from the pit of hell. Show them today that you honor the humble. You lift up the humble of heart. You receive our prayers. Even though they are prayers, Lord, often that start with God, I blew it. You are drawn 
to us as we are drawn near to you. And so God, this morning as we continue to worship, as we finish this service, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you go to that part of us that's dry, that perhaps has not been longing, that has not been listening, that has not been looking for more of you, and break our hearts right now, I pray. Break our hearts, I pray it in Jesus' name. Let's stand together. Some of you are going to need to uh, just stand there and think, pray. Some of you are going to want to kneel, perhaps. Some of you may feel like the need to come forward. You don't have to. There's nothing special about down front. But some of you, as an act of faith, as a declaration, as a public declaration, you need to just come down and, and get on your knees here and pray. We're going to take a couple of songs. we got about 10 more minutes. We're not done. Do not leave. I'm praying for you right now. I've been praying. I got up at 4.30 this morning. I've been praying for you that you would know more of him today, that you would leave here hungry for more of him. Whether that happens or not right now is up to you. Let's worship. You know what I dream about? What wakes me up at 4.30 in the morning? So I dream about the impact of church like ours. When a thousand people or so called Jesus Lord. What kind of change they could bring to our world, to our neighborhoods, to our city. And what's it going to take for us to get there from here? Not just a few fanatics like me saying yes, but all of us. All of us. And to the degree that we, the community, call East Point, to the degree that we say yes, that we engage, that we surrender, then we're going to see more of him than we ever dreamt possible. And I dream a lot about that day. Father, take us from this place to change. Not just now, but tomorrow, a week from tomorrow. Put that longing in our hearts, Lord, that only you can. So that we'll find the satisfaction that can only come from you. In Jesus' name I pray. If you need prayer, prayer team will be down front. Um, some of you will need to take communion today. Maybe it's just a way to seal what God's done in your heart today that's available on both sides of the room. My prayer for you is that you'll go this week. Keep saying yes to Jesus. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming today.